All right. Hey, well, we're good here. I'm especially partial to this mic because if you weren't with us, what, Good, thir- good Friday on Thursday last year when we did it at ILPC, um, they had one like this. And we, we had this script that we read at our Good Friday service. And I was so proud. I had I'd spoken slowly, clearly, thoroughly. No one told me until the end of the night that the mic gave me a lisp. So all night I had been telling our people to flee thin. Don't commit thin. Nobody told me. And we, we, we had gotten our first COVID shot that day. So Jamie and LJ thought I was dying, but nobody cared until the night was over. So I, I love our little mics that don't give me a lisp. No lisp setting this morning. Hey, we're really glad you are back here today. Um, I hope last night was a blessing for you. I hope today is. And, and I agree exactly with what Jamie was saying. We, we're praying that the substance of what we're sharing is good and helpful for you. But as much as anything else, we want you to, to see and know and connect with and love one another. Because here's the thing. We believe that what we gather to do on Sunday mornings is biblical. We believe that we are called to do that. But if that's the only time you're connecting with your Redeemer family, you are missing so much of what the Lord has intended us to be and do for and with one another. So enjoy this time today. Uh, if you take nothing else from it, realize that in all these challenges you face, you're not alone. And you're gonna hear that as a theme throughout my talk this morning and probably throughout some others as well. But, you know, as Jamie shared last night, our desire for our whole congregation, for every single person, wherever you're at in life, is that you and we would be God's people, empowered by God's spirit, seeking God's word and intervention to help us engage in his work in his world. And as he shared last night, he focused on some very kind of high level, broad, general principles of discipleship. And then the breakouts today are where we're gonna really get down to, to the nitty gritty of how do we do these things? And you may say, well, okay, I understand that. Why are you here? which is a question I get asked a lot at home, actually. Why are you here? Um, but, but my hope is to kind of bridge between those two things and to help us start to translate some of those principles into the life of discipling in the home. So in the next 30 minutes or so, that's what we want to start to do. Because I know for many of us, myself very much included, we just wanna jump straight to the checklist and bullets. Like, tell me what to do so that when I'm done, I can say that I'm done. And... and I love checklists as much as anybody, but we want to make sure that to the extent we have those, we're building them on the right foundation and not asking them to bear more weight than they ought to bear. So how do we translate what Jamie shared last night into discipling in the lives of our homes? Well, first, and like he shared last night, we have to be clear about what we mean when we say home, because I recognize for all of us, that can mean different things. For some of you, Home means you're, you're an adult living at home with your parents, figuring out what the next step of life is. For some, home means you're living on your own or with roommates. For some of you, it means that you're married, maybe without kids, maybe with kids, maybe with kids that have grown and gone. For some of you, best I can tell, home means whichever of the coffee shops in Hendersonville you're at that day, because that's where you always are. It, whatever home is, we want you to be obedient to, and we want to help you, help equip you to be obedient to our call and command to make disciples in those places, to, to pursue discipleship together. And you know, in thinking about that, Jamie left us with a, a question, with a challenge, what would you call it, a, a lobbed grenade last night. Uh, and it really, it sat with me all night, and I imagine it will continue to do so, but he, he said, if our homes are communities 
where we are cultivating habits, and, and they are, they are those things, if nothing else, then how are we shaping them to help us and help our kids be pointed toward Jesus? So with that live grenade in our hands this morning, I wanna talk about and I want us to reflect on five realities of discipling in the home that, that I hope will point us to that end. So if you're taking notes this morning, that will maybe help you kind of structure this. So five realities of discipling in the home. Again, whatever home may look like for you. So reality number one is this. We are commanded and we have a responsibility to disciple in the home. Now, given the name and purpose of this conference, that probably ranks right up there with, you know, the sky is blue and the big yellow one is the sun in profundity. But we want to make sure, again, that, that we're, building on the firmest possible foundation. So there are any number of scripture passages we could reflect on to, to make this point, but I want us to think about two, and I want us to have two right in front of our minds today. The first one, we see part of it every Sunday, but it's Matthew 28, and the, the full thought there is, is 18 through 20, and you're gonna know this, but it says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So keep that in mind. And then the second is Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, which says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them on your, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. So as we start this morning, I want us to reflect on three things from these two passages. First, note that they are grounded in God's authority over us and are an outflow of our love for him. Did you see that in those two verses? Because a lot of times I think we, we kind of glide over the first verses as we, as we get into these passages but in, in the Great Commission, it says, go therefore. Well, what for? Well, because all authority has been given to Jesus. That's why we can go and do this. So we, we disciple under Jesus's authority. And then the command of Deuteronomy is rooted directly in our love for God because of what he has done for us. And if you were back, here back when Jamie preached us through Exodus, he hit on this theme a whole lot that Every time God gave the law, he always opened it with, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of the land of Egypt. And that's what we have to remember in our discipleship is it's not just some burdensome task, hopefully. We, we do it as an act of love and we do it under God's authority on our own lives. And, and when we do it in this way, when we remember that that's what's driving our discipleship, I hope that will help you find an element of joy in it that we can lose otherwise. If it becomes just another thing to do, but we wanna be joyful. Some of you baseball fans may remember a movie from, I don't know, 15 years ago, it's called The Rookie. And it, is it Dennis Quaid or Randy Quaid? Who's the sober one, Dennis? Dennis, um, it was about a high school science teacher who was clearly past his athletic prime, but his team had challenged him and he said, well, I'm gonna go try out for the majors again. And, and of course he makes it, but there's a scene where he's slogging his way back through the minors with these very young guys who don't appreciate what they're getting to do. And one of them just kind of down on himself and he, he pops up behind him and I think the guy's name was Brooks. He goes, Brooks, smile. And he's like, why? We get to play baseball today. And, and he remembered like what a joy it is. And that's what I want our approach and, and our feeling about discipleship to, to be is we get to point our families to Jesus. We get to point those around us to Jesus. 
And that should be what motivates us to do this, not just this, this duty, this obligation, but it's a joy to reflect him. And we're not gonna do it perfectly. We're gonna come back to that in a minute. But secondly, from these passages, note, especially in the Deuteronomy command, that it focuses first on our own hearts. What does it say? All these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, hang on to that. We're gonna come back to that in a minute. It's very important. And then third, the rest of the command makes clear that discipleship infuses our entire lives. It's not just a thing we get to set aside over here and tend to when we want to. It should be in, through, and coming out of every part of our lives. And we're gonna come back to that as well. We're gonna hit these themes. But ultimately, we learn from these passages that God's will for his people is that they and their children worship him, meaning that we cultivate habits and immerse ourselves in communities and cultures that help us become God's people, empowered by God's spirit, seeking God's word and intervention to help us engage in God's work. We're just gonna hit that over and over. That, that's our goal. Or in other words, we wanna be disciples of Jesus. So that's our command. That's the task that is set before us. As we seek to live it out, however, I think we need to remember the second reality, which is this. Discipling in the home means dealing with lost sinners. And I think especially if you have kids, it is so important to remember this because you know what? I think all of us intellectually get this. If we got this question on a test, we would answer it rightly. But you know what? It's really hard to remember that in the moment. I know every generation has the tendency to think the next one is the one that's just gonna finally fall apart, that has truly lost its mind. It's gonna be the collapse of morals, the end of civilization. And, and believe me, I take a backseat to no one in being the crotchety old man, shaking my fist saying, you kids get off my lawn. Arr. That's me, I'm fine with that. But, but here's a quote for you, listen to this. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in the place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents. They talk before company. They gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs and tyrannize their teachers. Anybody wanna take a stab at who said it? I have a Churchill. Always good to attribute a quote to Churchill. You can never go wrong with that, <laughs> but you are wrong. Anybody else, anybody else? Edwards, Socrates, 2,400 years ago. Human nature doesn't change. The next generation hasn't changed. They're always terrible. Those young ones are always, always just the worst. No, we laugh, but there's an important lesson we have to remember there that, that the human heart, stained and fallen and broken by sin, does not change. We are sinners at heart, and that's going to result in, shockingly enough, outwardly sinful behavior. Now, what does that have to do with discipleship? Well, a constant temptation, particularly if we have or are dealing with discipling kids, but honestly, in all discipling relationships, is to want to fixate on the outward behaviors, to just want to fix those things. But if you've been a parent for all of about five seconds, you know that this is the shortest path to disappointment and frustration and bitterness. Why? Because behavior is just the, Leanne, what's the term? The presenting symptom? Is that, we'll go with that. Jamie and I are all on the medical stuff here. But it, it's, it's the outward manifestation of, of the sinful heart within. Uh, Paul Tripp, says it's like having an apple tree that just produces like gross, busted, nasty apples. And so instead of fixing the tree, you just tie like pretty nice apples that you bought from the store. And well, that looks good, but you haven't done anything. The tree is still gonna produce gross, nasty, broken apples. Yeah, I remember 
several, many years ago uh, now, when Caleb, our oldest, he was two, we were living in Knoxville and he would go to a Mother's Day out at our church a couple of days a week there. And one day I was at work and Brittany called me just sobbing in tears. And I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, Caleb's done something terrible. I thought, goodness, what's happening? He's, he's two, what, what could possibly have happened? And she said, he got sent to the director's office at Mother's Day out. I said, well, what do he do? And she's like, he just, he kept hugging his friends. And, but when he did, he would tackle them and, and he wouldn't stop. And I said, and? And she goes, well, that was it. And she said, as serious as be, is he going to become a serial killer? And I was so glad I was on the phone because my poker face just failed, just <laughs> failed. And I, and I said, honey, sweet, sweet as can be, I, I think there are a few more steps between, you know, tackling two-year-old and hardened murderer. And I'm, I'm very happy to report that Caleb has since, you know, repented of his sin, he's trusted in Jesus, does not appear to be on that well-worn path from tackling two-year-old to a hardened life of crime. But yeah, I, I get a kick out of remembering that, but it's just a reminder that in the heart is where the sin dwells. It, we want to fix the outward behaviors. We don't want our kids to, to become serial killers or go to Mother's Day Out director's offices. But just fixing that isn't going to fix their hearts. And we want to remember and let Scripture be our guide here. And it's all over the place. Proverbs 4.23 tells us what? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You know, our lives flow out of our hearts, revealing what we worship, what we fear, what we trust, what we hope in, what entices us. Jesus said, from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance. I mean, our hearts are gross. And he said that good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you see the implications here for our discipling and our discipleship? The outward behaviors are a reflection of the heart within. And so that's where we want to focus our discipleship efforts. If, we're, if we wanna lead those in our home to Christ, if we wanna image God in and to them, we don't wanna just take steps merely to correct behaviors, but we wanna we want reach for their hearts. And that's, that's essential. Let's not, let's not rob them of the true depth of the gospel, the true transformation of what Christ has done by just giving them rules that they can satisfy with outward conformity. It, it feels like we're doing them well, and there, there's a place for that. But we have to remember that apart from Christ, their hearts are dead in sin. Even as we do that, let me flip the coin now. Let me say, don't be hypercritical. Let me point that right back at me. Don't be hypercritical because it is so tempting to just constantly harp on all the little bad things. Stop hitting your sibling. Don't yell. Don't run. Clean up your room. Take a bath. It's been eight days. Please take a bath. You stink. Do all these little things. But we need to, we need to be patient with them as God is patient with us. I don't know about you, but I've been a dad for 12 and a half years now, and every day just about, I am reminded and so thankful that, Lord, I am so glad that you are more patient with me than I am with my own kids because it's hard. Train them, yes. Require obedience, absolutely. Do teach them the outward things. We don't want them to grow up and become serial killers. That's bad. But don't, don't be shocked by it either. If their hearts don't belong to Jesus, that's where the root of the problem is. 
And, and notice what that temptation says about our hearts. Remember again, Deuteronomy starts with our hearts. We tend toward this legalism. Even again, we would know that was wrong on the test. It's so much easier to just wanna focus on that but because the gospel runs shallow in our own hearts. So with God's help, desperately with God's help and with one another, let's disciple their hearts. Let's show them what it means to be God's people, God's spirit, God's word, doing God's work. I told you, you could answer the question, but that's really, really hard to do. And discipling at that level, discipling to that end will require us to remember the third reality, which is this, that discipling in the home will require real repentance by you and by me. We have to remember that because the, the tendency, the temptation we can face is to think that in order to disciple in our homes, well, we have to get ourselves all cleaned up, all perfectly in order, never screw up, never fall down, and then we can start discipling. Not so, because if you're waiting on that, you will not get there. What they need to see is that our own discipleship, our own walk with Jesus is not some perfectly smooth road without challenges or setbacks. Show of hands, how many of you would love for your discipleship to look like this? Just this nice, smooth upward trend. Who, who all wants that? Yeah, yeah, a few of you, yes, yes. Now, how many of you has your actual discipleship been this and then the detour kind of over here and then, oh, we're gonna go down here and now we're gonna go backwards in time and ah, it's like a squirrel got you know, on bad drugs and designed a roller coaster, it's terrible. <laughs> That's, that's what discipleship really looks like. I'm gonna kick things, that's great. Um, but you know what? Our, our kids need to see that that's what our path has been. They need to see that we're going to stumble and fall at times. And most importantly, that when we do, we go to the Lord, and if necessary to them, to repent, to apologize, to say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's powerful discipleship in our homes. You, along these lines, believe it or not, even now, even this day, in the year of our Lord, 2022, there are still people who think that just because I or some of us carry the title of pastor, that that means, oh, you, you've got this all figured out, right? You, you never lose your temper with your kids, to which I say first, ha, 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 I'm not stopping, ha, 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 no, no, seriously though, let me, let me just thoroughly disabuse you of that notion right now. True story from the Shaver home two years ago. So sitting at our kitchen table, which is about this high, doing some work, Brittany's in the kitchen. One of our kids just had one of those days, just one of those days. And this particular child popped off to Brittany with something just terribly rude. And y'all, I have no fuse for that. You will not be rude to mom, not okay. So I know this about myself. I know that I have a short temper here. And I'm kind of like Robert Frost coming to the diverging road in the Yellowwood. There are two paths before me. So what do I, pastor, super Christian, do here? Do I say, children, come, gather around your father. Father, Let us reflect on the glory of Jesus Christ and our heavenly father that you might better learn how to honor your earthly father and mother. No, no. I choose the other path. What I do, you see, is I stand up and I take our chair, which is about this tall, and I slam it in front of me because it's the only thing separating me from my child, and if I can get to them, I will strangle them, which is bad. And then I proceed at a volume level about 100 times louder than what I'm gonna do right now to say this. I'm, I'm gonna take this off, in fact. What is wrong with you? Why do you speak 
right? This child who has just received the full, unmitigated fury of my anger, eh. My other children who've been well-behaved, just bawling in tears, just crumbling before my eyes. Daddy's gonna kill us all. Why? But nothing, nothing from this child. What was wrong with you? And I tell you that story for two reasons. One, to hopefully help you know that if you think you're the only weirdo who ever loses your temper with your kids, you're not alone. Welcome, we can help one another. But two, even more importantly, discipling in the home is hard. It's frustrating. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. It is very real. And if we're going to engage at it at this level, if we're gonna go for the heart, then it's gonna mean that there are times that we screw up badly. And that day I had to, I had to deeply repent and apologize, and I did. And we worked through it. But I see the sin that dwells in my own heart. And my kids need to, they don't need to see the sin, but they need to see me repent of it and pursue that with the Lord and with them. But here's the good news out of all that. You don't have to pretend to have it all together. Friends, that's a burden you cannot bear. If nothing else, because kids are the world's greatest hypocrisy sniffers. They'll know when you are faking it. But you don't have to. That is the beauty of it. Just like those we are called to disciple, we remain works in progress. Confess your sin and your weakness to your children when it's hurt them. Tell them that you pray and let them hear you pray for God to make you a better parent, to help you be a good parent. Let them hear you cry out to the Lord for that. Ask them to pray for you. That's humbling. And it's hard. But consider this. Do you think your kids will learn more from whatever your formal family worship or Bible study time looks like? Or from watching how you, you argue and stumble and fall and reconcile and repent? Both. They need to see both. And you don't have to be afraid. I cannot tell you how many times that I've come in those moments and thought, well, I have now broken them. Not only beyond my repair, but beyond God's repair. Like, we won't get back from this one, which is almost a form, eh, kind of like idolatry in my heart that I think, oh, I'm, I'm more powerful than God in their lives. And I'm just not, because he's at work in me and he's at work in them and he's doing all things in accordance with his will. I think Spurgeon actually has a good word for us here. He says, children are a precious gift from God, but a great deal of anxiety accompanies them they may be a great joy or a great bitterness to their parents. They may be filled with the spirit of God or possessed with the spirit of evil. It's okay to say amen there. In all cases, the word of God gives us the one prescription for curing of all their ills. Bring the child to me. Ungodly children, when they show us our own powerlessness against the depravity of their hearts, drive us to flee to the strong for strength. And this is a great blessing to us. So don't fear but flee to the one who is strong. Flee to the one who holds their hearts in his hand. Fourth reality. Discipling in the home is a whole life and all of life endeavor. Remember again, back to the Deuteronomy passage. It says, focus first on your own hearts 
I told you to hang on to that because we come back to it, we'll, we'll work back. Because as we noted, the rest of the command makes clear that discipleship should, should infuse our entire lives. Because you see, like Jamie shared last night, discipleship is not what? It's not a classroom. It's not an assembly line. It's not a science lab. It's also, it's also not some separate task for us to do just when it's convenient for us. It's not something we're gonna get through and be like, all right, all done. My work is done here. And don't get me wrong. Again, I love checklists. I love plans. I love seeing them get done. That makes me very, very happy. But we have to get out of that mindset in discipleship because it's going to be so frustrating. And to do that, first, we have to make sure that we're tending to our own lives. It's like when you're in an airplane and nobody's listening to what they're saying and we're all gonna regret it one day if it crashes. But they say, get your own mask on first, then go help everybody else. You've got to start with your own heart. Because when you do, then, then this, this aspect of discipling, just infusing your entire life, it's gonna come much more naturally. Whenever I talk about this, I'm reminded of my friend Clarence, and I wish I could tell you his whole story because it's amazing, but he's one of my former law partners and one of the godliest men I've ever known. And I've never known anybody for whom scripture and the things of Jesus just pour out of him in every setting of his life. And I feel like when I try to do that, I just come across as an angry sledgehammer. I don't know how to fix it. It's just weird. But for him, just in his conversation, in all the things that he does, it's just there. He just speaks of the Lord and of Jesus like breathing. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I know and I've seen how much time he just spends in God's word and in prayer and with believers. And I'm like, Lord, help me to do that. Because when we do, it becomes so much more natural to live out the second part of this command. Because discipling in the home is, or at the very least should be, way more than just, just Bible study or just prayer or family devotional, however you wanna see it. And hear, hear me saying this, those are good things. Those are very good things. Don't, don't stop doing them, keep pursuing them. My, my family aims for them, even if we only hit them very occasionally. But if that's all we're, all we're doing, or if we're relying on just that to disciple our kids, one of two things is gonna happen. Either, one, our kids learn that you know, Jesus' time is this separate thing. It's a thing to do, and they, they divorce it from the rest of their lives. Or two, they just kind of tune out and put up with it so they can get through it. So we want to continue to find ways to just work this into the daily rhythm of our lives in, in all the things that we're doing. Again, nothing wrong with a formal, structured, planned time but don't, don't rely only on that. You know, Jesus was kind of the master of this, unsurprisingly. He was always finding ways to tie daily events, things going on in his and the disciples' lives to point them to the Father and to the ways of the kingdom. You remember in Luke 13 when a tower fell down and he was able to talk about God's judgment. Uh, when he meets the woman at the well, he's able to point her to Jesus using the well as the analogy. Uh, he talks about the lilies of the field as a way of describing God's provision. Uh, the mustard seed. I mean, all, all these things that were just a part of their lives. And, and those are probably not the situations you're going to encounter. But, but what does this look like in our lives? Well, it means, you know what? When your kid wants to spend hours telling you about something that you're interested in that you don't care about, and you don't understand, I don't understand Minecraft. But you know what? I have listened to hours of the, the exhorting of the glory of Minecraft. But it gives me time to talk to my kids because they see, hey, dad cares about what I'm saying. I might this much more want to listen when he wants to talk to me. Um, it means that they get to see, well, dad knows me. He knows what I am. So when we tell them your heavenly father knows you with complete intimacy and complete fullness, they have a, they have a good idea of what that means in their lives. It means 
that they're going to learn as much, if not more, by just watching you in your natural life. Because that's discipleship that speaks loudly, especially when things are going wrong in our lives. I told you this is hard. How do you react when you're at the restaurant and you had a terrible server? Do you fly off the handle at them? Or do you tip them more generously because maybe they've had a bad day too? That's gonna disciple your kids. How do you react when something just really unfair has been done to your family? Do you seek vengeance or do you show grace? Because that's gonna disciple and speak loudly to your kids. At the end of the day, friends, this is hard. This is so hard that we need, we must have the Holy Spirit to have any hope of accomplishing these things. But on the other hand, God didn't intend to make this some just inscrutable, impossible to understand formula, much less something that we can't obey in him. But I'm reminded and encouraged by a quote from, from Kevin DeYoung. He says, could it be that we've made parenting too complicated? He said, the longer I parent, the more I want to focus on doing a few things really well and not get too passionate about all the rest. He said, I wanna spend time with my kids, I wanna teach them the Bible, take them to church, laugh with them, cry with them, discipline them when they disobey, say sorry when I mess up, and pray like crazy. I want them to look back and think, I'm not sure what my parents were doing or if they even knew what they were doing, but I always knew my parents loved me and I knew they loved Jesus. And he said, maybe it's not that complicated after all. Yes and amen to that. Lord, help us to love you, to love our kids, to help them know that we love them and that we love you. And that brings us to our last reality, number five. Discipling in the home means not letting the perfect become the enemy of the good. Don't let the perfect become the enemy of the good. Well, what do I mean by that? I talk to people all the time who have these, these great and grand plans for their own discipleship, for discipleship in the home, for all these things they're gonna do. You know, you know these are the families that are like, you know, when my kid's three, I'm gonna have them read the whole New Testament. When they're four, they're gonna read the Old Testament. When they're five, they're gonna learn Greek. And when they're six, they're gonna learn Hebrew. And, and the rest of us are like, you know, I'm just glad my kid stopped picking his nose in public. Like we're, we're winning, we're, we're getting there. Again, nothing wrong with plans. But what happens? The first or the second or the 10th or the 100th time they don't work, you just give up. Like, this is too hard, I can't do this. We develop this weird approach where if we can't, pursue discipleship perfectly, then we just stop. But guess what? You are not, and you never will be perfect. That's, that's not in the cards, this side of eternity. And imagine if we approach the rest of our lives this way, like, man, I was not perfect in not being angry today. Might as well just go ahead and murder that guy. You know, I was not perfect in not being envious today. Might as well knock over that bank, rob it. You know, I was not perfect in not being a glutton today. Might as well eat the whole pack of bacon. In fairness, I might do that one because bacon's delicious. But you know, nowhere else in our lives do we think that, where if I don't get it exactly right, then I'm just not gonna try at all. Discipleship, above all, should be this because we're not going to be perfect. The point is, if you fall down, you get up and you keep going. You know what? I mentioned earlier that, that our family does aim for this. When we do it perfectly, we're reading through the Old Testament, the New Testament together, we're praying together, we're singing, we're doing these things. You know how often that happens? maybe, maybe like once every couple of weeks. On those other nights, we do what we can. Sometimes we read a little bit. Sometimes we pray a little bit. Sometimes we get a chance to talk about the things of the Lord. Sometimes we just put them in bed and don't kill them, and we call that a good day. <laughs> but you know what? There's no magic to trying to accomplish it in a certain timeline. 
Are you pointing your kids to Jesus? Are you letting them see him in you? Because the goal is to do that with our whole lives. Let me leave you with one final word of encouragement, particularly if you worry that your kids are already beyond hope. If you, like me, think, nope, I've broken them beyond repair. Don't assume that you know how it's gonna turn out because you don't control their futures. You don't control their hearts. We, the Bible tells us, are God's workmanship. They, the Bible tells us, are God's workmanship. And if, if they are to be saved, that will be his doing as well. And we may not see when and how he starts this work. We don't know the end of their story. And therefore, we don't write off any child. Don't, don't give up. Persevere in this good work that God has given you. Go after the difficult ones. Pursue the strays. Never, ever give up. I've told this story to some of you before. I want to close with it this morning. But anytime I think about this, anytime I get discouraged of my kids' growth in the Lord, of, of my interaction with them, I'm reminded of one of my best friends growing up. His name's Dan Morton. And Dan and his family loved, and, and to this day, they, they love Jesus. But Dan's grandfather, a guy named C.A., did not. C.A. was a kind man. He could answer your questions about the Bible. He just did not believe in Jesus, could not bring himself to that. And every Sunday, when our little country church would end and the pastor would call for people to come and pray, the Mortons would be at the front praying for Mr. C.A. Every time I went to their house, which was often, and we prayed before a meal or we prayed for a bed, before bed, we prayed for Mr. C.A. Every time they had a chance to pray, they prayed for Mr. C.A. And you know what? God saved Mr. C.A. when he was 68 years old. And then he called him home a few years later. You do not know the end of your kid's story. You cannot force them to be saved, but we can choose to never give up. We can choose to never stop pursuing the Lord and pursuing those whom we are called to disciple, even if it takes 68 years, even if it takes longer. God is faithful. God is good. Go, therefore, and cultivate habits and communities that will help you and help your families become God's people, empowered by God's spirit, seeking God's word and God's intervention to help you accomplish God's work. Or to put it a little shorter, go and make disciples. Let me pray for us. Father, that's our prayer. We are wholly inadequate for this task. Even as I say these things this morning, I tremble to think at the responsibility you have given me as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, and as a friend. And, and if I couldn't come to you, if we couldn't come to you and rely on, stand in, and trust in the promises of your word, this would crush us because it is beyond us. But today and tomorrow and the next day and for as long as we draw breath, we have one singular hope, and it is Jesus. And it is the promise of his word to be faithful, the promise of his word to save his people, and the promise of his word to be and do these things in our lives. And so we commend ourselves to you we cast ourselves on your mercy and we, we beg and plead with all that is in us for your help. Please, please 
Help us to live and love and obey you in just these ways. In our own hearts, in our homes, and in every other area of life where you choose to place us. For everyone who's here this morning, for everyone who is a part of Redeemer but couldn't be here, help us to do this for one another. Help us to love, to sharpen, to encourage one another, to pick each other up when we fall down, to rejoice with one another when we rejoice, to weep with one another when we weep, and to remember that other than you, none of us are perfect. And when it gets hard, help us to persevere. Help us, Father, to go and make disciples. It's in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit that we pray. Amen.